Well, hello, friends. Yeah, y'all know I like feedback. Come on, I like feedback. We're going to do this all morning long. Okay, so can you believe that Christmas is six days away? Like, I cannot believe how fast this year has gone by, and it's going to be 2022 before you know it. Uh, It's crazy to me. You know, I love all of the things that take place at Christmas. I love all the Christmas carols and the hot cocoa. I love uh, all the parties and the decorations and the trees and the Christmas lights. All that's great. But that's not the reason why we celebrate Christmas, is it? We celebrate Christmas because of that baby who was born over 2,000 years ago and the hope that he gave. What's his name? Jesus the Christ, that's exactly right, Jesus. And as we continue in our series today titled The Road to Hope, I want us to look at the mother of that special baby. This morning we're going to discover that Mary's road to hope went from unexpected to purposeful. Unexpected to purposeful. So we're going to talk about unexpected for a moment. How many of us, by show of hands, how many of us love when something unexpected happens, like a flat tire or you get pulled over by the cops? They're usually bad, right? Anybody enjoy those things? No, none of us want those random, unexpected things to take place in our lives because we don't have the time, we don't have the energy to handle them. They are not part of our plan for life, right? We've got in our minds what we want to do, where we want to go, when we want to get there, And when something unexpected gets thrown in the mix, it just throws us all out of whack, doesn't it? Instead, we want everything to make sense. We want it all to fit together just the way that we planned it so we can stand back and say, it's perfect. It's great. Kind of like decorating a Christmas tree. You know, we put every ornament exactly where it belongs. We fill in every hole that needs to be filled with the right bulb. We make sure that everything connects and all the lights are working on it so that others can stand back and say, wow, that looks really good. Look, they've got their life together. Look how successful, how driven, how focused, how determined, how detailed, how purposeful they are. Whether we admit it or not, we all yearn for things to make sense. We all want all the dots to connect just the way we plan. That's not a Christian thing. That's not a religious thing. That's just a human thing. That's part of our DNA. So what happens when life throws us a curveball? Or better yet, what happens when we're handed an unexpected broken ornament, right? What happens? We all tend to get angry, and after we get angry, we always ask, why? God, why in the world did you allow this to happen? What purpose does this have in my life? Why, God? When we're handed these random ornaments, we kind of scramble to figure out where they go on our Christmas tree of life. For example, the ornament of divorce. Nobody plans for this, do they? It's not like you're on your honeymoon and you look in your phone and pick a date on the calendar 10 years later where you say, yep, that's, that's when we're going we're gonna to file for divorce. Nobody plans for that to happen. You plan to go on a date. You plan to get engaged. You plan to get married. You plan to have kids, but you don't plan for this. However, when life hands you this ugly broken ornament, you have to hang it up on the tree. Or maybe 
you get this unexpected ornament of job loss. Job loss. Let's say one week you're doing great financially. The next week you're having to borrow money from relatives just so you can put food on the table. Right? You thought there's no way in the world you would ever lose your job because your boss loves you. It was your idea. It was your baby. And you planned it all out. It was great until your old boss retired and a new boss came in. And they don't like your work. So out you go. You got to hang it up and you got to start over. Or maybe you get this ornament of sickness. Could be COVID. Could be cancer. Could be something else that just grabs onto you and does not let go. You have to hang it up because it's part of your story. It's part of your journey. You get another ornament. Pain. This could be emotional pain. Could be spiritual pain. Maybe it's a, a broken heart. Maybe it's pain of uh, a hurtful coworker. What do you do? You're going to hang it up on the tree. Maybe you get the broken ornament of chaos, right? Chaos comes in many forms or fashions. It could be relocating to a new city because you've got a different job. It could be chaos from the hectic holidays or any number of things. So you got to hang it up. Now, you wouldn't look at this tree now and say, oh, that's a beautiful tree, would you? No, those are ugly. They don't fit the decorations. They don't fit the plan that we had for our Christmas tree of life. But yet, regardless of the ornaments that life hands us, all of us want to know why, God. What's the purpose that those have? We desperately beg God for the answers that only he can give us. That's just part of our human nature to know and to have everything fit together in our plan for life. Well, this morning as we look at the life of Mary, we're going to learn two very important lessons that will help us cope with, that will help us hang up these unexpected broken ornaments. We'll learn two lessons that will help guide us down the road to hope this Christmas. And I'm going to apologize in advance. I totally blanked and forgot to give you the handouts to print those things off. So if you want to take notes, you got to write the whole thing instead of just fill in the blank. All right? Forgive me. I'm sorry. I won't forget next time. So let's, uh, let's open up with just a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to dive into your word. God, just to look at this birth, uh, the story of the birth of Jesus and how that affects us today. So, Father, uh, just clear all the distractions from our minds. Help us not to think about anything else except what you want us to hear right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the first lesson that we need to learn on this road to hope. God always has a plan, even when you can't see or understand the plan. Say that with me. God always has a plan, even when you can't see or understand the plan. As a follower of Jesus, I sincerely believe with everything I've got, God has a plan for me and he has a plan for you. He has a plan and purpose for everything. God always has a plan because that's who he is. He's the God of order, not chaos. He's the God of purpose, not indifference. He brings design into things that seem to be in disarray. God has been and he will continue to be involved in your story and in my story and in his story. So understand that the feeling inside of you that wants to make sense of this randomness of life, the feeling inside of you that wants to have all the dots connect, that's natural because it's part of who God is. That's a reflection of the image of God in you. 
Even though you can't see or understand the plan, doesn't mean one doesn't exist. Now, all of this collides with the Christmas story because this story in some ways is the best example we have of God showing up in the randomness and the brokenness and the unexpected journeys of our lives and reminding the world, I'm still in control. I still have a purpose and a plan. God had a plan from the beginning because he loves us so much and he wants us to be united with him forever in heaven. So let's discover what that is by looking at Luke chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles or your phones, uh, Bible apps, you can turn with me there. We're just going to break this down, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read some verses, break it down, explain it, read some more and explain it, and we'll go from there. If not, it's going to be on the screen. So Luke is obviously written by a guy named Luke. This is important context here. And here's what he says, Luke chapter 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He says many. Not a few, not one person, but many people have sat down and they've tried to put together an account of everything that took place surrounding the birth of Jesus. Verse 2, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. That means that other people saw this firsthand. It wasn't just Luke alone. He wasn't just making this up. This story really happened. It wasn't a fairy tale. Verse 3, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now that doesn't really sound like a once upon a time in a little town of Bethlehem story, does it? I mean, he's taking this seriously. He wants them to know, guys, I've done my homework. This is real. I want to make sure that somebody writes down everything that happened so that future generations know what took place. And it's that context that sets up the birth of Jesus and the introduction to Mary. So we're going to jump down to verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, well, who's Elizabeth? That was one of Mary's relatives. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So let's just pause and think about the impact of those words for a moment. Luke had no idea. He had no idea what ripple effects he would cause in the future by writing down the account of this one story about the birth of this child. He didn't know that books would be written. He didn't know that churches would be built and destroyed and rebuilt. He didn't know that wars would be fought or missionaries would be sent or heretics would be killed or people would give their lives. He didn't know that people would sacrifice everything they own so that this story about this baby could be translated into a language that every person could read and understand. He didn't have any idea of the impact that it has on you and me. But this story was significant not only in Luke's day 2,000 years ago, it is just as significant in our time right now. And then he tells us the virgin's name is Mary. We don't know a thing about Mary at all. This is the first time she enters the scene. She's just some random teenage girl. Her life is pretty much planned out. She's going to marry a guy named Joseph, probably somebody she's never met, 
because back then, marriages were all prearranged. If she'd met him, she doesn't really know him at all. And she's also been told where she's going to live. Her parents would have decided that as well. So she knows she's going to marry somebody, and then they're going to have kids. And if they're lucky enough to live long enough, they'll be able to see some grandkids, maybe even some great-grandkids, but that was probably a stretch. And then Mary would die, never to be remembered again, because nobody, nobody cared about what happened to Israel, to those people back in that day. They were like just a little tiny, tiny speck on the map. That was Mary's destiny until God stepped in. And at this moment in history, God showed up and he did the unexpected to remind us, to remind them that he does have a plan. He has a purpose, even though we can't see it, even though we can't understand it. And he is very involved in the lives of his people. So let's continue. Verses 28. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. Underline that word, highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. How many of you would be afraid if an angel just, woo, hey, Mary. Yeah, all of us, right? Don't be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. There's the second time he says that. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. So that phrase, his kingdom will never end, that would have stood out to Mary significantly. You see, Israel had not been an independent kingdom for at least the last five generations. They were far inferior to everyone else, and they had been enslaved over and over and over again. So for an angel to show up and tell her that the child she was about to give birth to was going to be king and his kingdom would never end, it would reign forever, that would have been unbelievable. But the most unbelievable phrase he said wasn't about the kingdom. She was worried about something else. Verse 34, how can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, right? That's a very logical question that any teenage girl would ask, especially if she's never been with a man. She would say, how can I have a baby? This is not possible. You don't know what you're talking about. But verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Let me just ask you, before I read that phrase right there, how many of you associated Jesus with the Son of God? All of us, right? Even if you've never been to a church before, you've heard people talk about Jesus, you know Jesus is equated with the Son of God. That's common knowledge for everyone in 2021. But 2,000 years ago... It wasn't. The first time those words were uttered was from Gabriel to Mary. Your child Jesus will be known as the Son of God. That would have been an astounding statement. That would have even been blasphemous for her to think about. The angel continues, verses 36 and 37. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. 
Say that with me. For no word from God will ever fail. How many of us need to hear that today? No word from God will ever, ever fail. So here's something important to understand. Up until this point, there had been 400 years since the Jews, God's people, had heard from God. And theologians call this the 400 years of silence. 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and when Jesus shows up on the scene. Now, there wasn't silence in the rest of the world because actually a lot of amazing things were taking place. The Babylon Empire, they rose up because they were mighty and strong and everybody thought, well, Babylon is forever. And they lasted for a long time until Persia came in and overthrew them. And then everybody thought, well, Persia is forever. And Persia reigned for about 200 years until Alexander the Great came and conquered them. And everybody thought, well, Greece is forever. And they did okay until Caesar Augustus came and Rome conquered them. And this is the time when this story is written, when Jesus was born and when Mary was living. And everybody thought in Mary's day that Rome was forever. But that wasn't the case, was it? God had a plan all along. This angel Gabriel told Mary, your son will have a kingdom and his kingdom, his kingdom alone will last forever and ever and ever. And I love what happens here. Basically, God shows up to Mary and he says, it's not about the plans of man. What I want to happen will transpire. Every one of those empires, they came and went because I allowed them to. When you look at history, you may not clearly see my hand, but understand I have a plan and it's working exactly as I've planned it because I'm the God of purpose and everything happens according to my will. That's what you and I need to understand today as well. God is in the random, unexpected, surprising moments of our lives too. Do you believe that? God is in the random, unexpected, surprising moments of our lives too. Whenever we get handed one of those broken ornaments, God is still there. When the angel Gabriel left, he never showed up to Mary again. We have no written account in any of the, uh, the scriptures that says Gabriel came back to Mary and encouraged her or reminded her. He basically showed up this one night, drops this truth bomb on her, And then says, hey, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God and disappears. And that's when Mary's life got very, very complicated. She was a pregnant teenage girl with no reasonable explanation as to why she was pregnant. Her fiancé Joseph finds out, and of course he wants to divorce her quietly. I mean, could you blame him? Could you blame him? So he has this in mind, this plan in mind to divorce her quietly because he's a man of respect. But then an angel shows up to Joseph and says, hey, don't go through with that. This is real. You need to stay by Mary's side because you're going to be Jesus' stepdad. And so he does. But the story doesn't get any easier from there. To top it off, Caesar Augustus decrees that everybody has to go back to their own hometown to register for this big, big census, which means a very long donkey ride for a very pregnant Mary. After this, about a 100-mile donkey ride, imagine that, when you're nine months pregnant, you get up, you show up to this town in a barn, and you have to give birth 
in a barn because there was no room. Yeah, you know the story, right? There was no room for them in the end. I wonder in all of those trying moments, if Mary reflected back to what the angel had told her some nine months earlier. You are the highly favored of God. I wonder if she reflected back, because he didn't just say it once, he said it twice. You know, I would bet that she'd probably be upset. Maybe she was a little frustrated. Maybe Mary was even angry. Maybe she thought about telling Gabriel, hey, Gabriel, you didn't tell me about this part. The misfavored of God would like an out. I mean, the least you could do is at least provide a nice bed for me to sleep on, to give birth to. Remember, I am carrying the Son of God. But Mary didn't get a nice bed, and Jesus was laid in an itchy manger. And I'm sure she wondered, why her? Why here? Why now? Actually, her story continues to worsen because King Herod hears about this baby boy who is supposed to overthrow him. And in a senseless fit of rage, he orders that every single boy under the age of two be slaughtered. Everyone. And I think that's the most difficult part of this whole Christmas story. It's the ugliest part of the Christmas story. Because thousands upon thousands of innocent children were killed for no reason. And we think, why, God? What, what does this have to play in your grand scheme of things? I mean, couldn't you have sent an angel just to wipe out King Herod instead? Well, he could have, but he didn't. However, God does tell Joseph and Mary to escape with Jesus to Egypt. Another long donkey ride. And they live there until Herod dies, and they move to a town called Nazareth, which is where Jesus was raised from that point forward. Once again, you have to look at all these details. Stand back and say, why? Why, God? How do these dots connect? What purpose does this have? How does this fit in? This is so unexpected. This makes no sense. And I'm sure if Mary had a Christmas tree like we do today, and she put on every single broken, unexpected ornament she had, it would be completely covered, and it wouldn't look pretty at all. You know, if you grew up in church, you know the rest of the story of Jesus, don't you? About 30 years later, he starts his ministry, and then things get worse. Mary experiences the most unimaginable pain and sorrow that any mother could ever experience, as she watched her firstborn son be stripped and beaten to within an inch of his life for a crime he did not commit. And then she watched as he was dragged into the street for everyone to see. A crown of thorns was slammed upon his head, and he was forced to carry his own cross up to a hill called Golgotha, where he would experience the most humiliating death possible. See, the Romans had perfected the art of the crucifixion. They knew just how much to make someone suffer before they actually died. The Roman soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross using seven-inch iron spikes, and they continuously mocked him. They spit on him. They cursed him. They gambled for his clothing. The final blow he received was a spear to his side, 
And all the while, Mary, his mother, watched in horror. The Ms. Highly Favored of God. Ms. The Lord is with you. Ms. His kingdom will never end. In that moment at the cross, I am sure it felt like the end to Mary. It looked like just another random act of violence by some random Roman soldiers that God decided to turn a blind eye towards. But we know now that wasn't the case. Amen. Because we know that God is always in control. You see, the crucifixion was the crux of God's connection with us. The crucifixion was the crux. It was the pinnacle of God's connection with us. Because when all hope seemed lost, when death appeared victorious, God had a plan and a purpose from it all. God's greatest involvement with mankind happened when he sent his only son into the world to save mankind from their sins. And that's something you and I get to remember every single week during a time of communion. So go ahead and get those emblems out right now, please. And I love that we do this every Sunday, as is written in the book of Acts. But we get to commune with God. You know what that means? To commune means that we get to have a conversation with God about what he has done for us. And it's a beautiful thing. So as we pause and as we take the bread, which represents Jesus' body, that I just talked about was beaten and bruised and bloodied. As we take this juice that represents Jesus' blood that was poured out intentionally to cover the sins of all mankind, I just want to encourage you to spend some time having a personal conversation with your Heavenly Father. Tell Him where you fell short this week. He already knows, but it's good to confess that to Him. And then just say thank you for his sacrifice of his one and only son. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that we get to take this spiritual meal together. God, I'm thankful for every brother and sister in here right now. God, for what you've done for us. We can never repay you. God, we didn't earn it and we didn't deserve it. But that's why it's a gift, because you give it to us freely. So, Father, right now, as we take the bread and juice, we just say thank you for your son, Jesus, for what he went through for all of us.
It's so good to commune with God, isn't it? It's peaceful. The first lesson that helps guide us down that road to hope, remember, God always has a plan, even when you can't see or understand it. And here's the second thing. Faith in God's plan is necessary to move forward with God's purpose for your life. Faith in God's plan is necessary to move forward with God's purpose for your life. Every Christmas, we're reminded that even when it seems random, even when it seems unexpected, even when it seems hopeless, God is with us. In that seemingly unredeemable illness, God is with you. That unredeemable death, he's there. That unredeemable job loss, that unredeemable situation in your marriage or your family or your school or your job, God is with you. He always has been and he always will be. He has a plan for your life and it's a good plan because he is a good, good father. About 25 years after the death of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, he sits down and he writes about the life of Jesus. And he pins these words to the Christians in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 1. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything. Everything, not just some things, not just a few things, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. There's that word purpose again. We want to know. We want to have order. We want to make sure that everything goes according to our plan, but it's not for our plan. It's not for our purpose. Whose is it for? It's for his, for God's purpose, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Basically, here's what Paul says. Whatever happens in your life, whatever happens, whatever ornaments you get handed, we should choose to live for God's glory. We should put faith in his plan. We can move forward with his purpose. Mary made a similar comment to the angel Gabriel after he broke this news to her. And here's how I want to end. I want you to read this with me. This was before she knew anything about the donkey ride, the barn, King Herod, the babies being slaughtered, another long donkey ride. Before she knew any of that, here is how Mary responded. Read this with me, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Again, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That to me is an unconditional faith. It's faith without conditions. Basically, it's a faith that says, yeah, we met just like I planned. We went on some dates just like I planned. We got engaged and married just like I planned. We had some kids just like I planned. But then divorce happened. Then a sickness came. Then there was the altercation, the accident, a pain, a job loss, a chaos. Then life handed me things that there was no way I had planned for broken ornaments that I didn't want to hang up on my tree, 
So now what? Well, you've got a couple options. You could try to change things. You could try to take back the control. You could try to force things back into the little box, the little plan that you have for your life. You could try to hide these ornaments on the back side of the tree. But guess what? They're still there. The pain, the repercussions, the feelings that come with all of this baggage, it doesn't just disappear. You cannot just sweep it under the rug. You cannot forget about it. You must address it. And the way, the way that you address it is by placing your faith in the one who can handle all of it. So that's what you could do. You could have faith and trust God's timing even though it's not your timing. You could have the faith to not give up on God even when life gets hard. You could have the faith to accept his will and to praise him through it all. That's what Mary did. It's a faith that says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And that's my prayer for each of you this morning. Whatever you've been handed, may you be able to say, God, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Whatever that is, whatever life brings, I'm going to have faith in you. So if there's a decision that needs to be made, maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe you've got a few broken ornaments that you don't know what to do with. I'd love to pray for you today. We're going to go into a time of worship. I'm going to sing a couple songs, and I'm going to be right here. Please come. We're one family. Let's pray for each other. Ken, I'm going to ask you to come up too, uh, and Chris as elders, and y'all just come. If anybody has something that they want to pray for, we're going to be up here and we're going to pray. But if you're here today, I don't know everyone's situation, but if you're here today and you've never received the grace that Jesus offers. We just talked about his life, his death. He rose from the dead so that you could place your faith in him. And if you need to make that first time decision, please come. There's no reason to wait. You can make that today. So whatever decision you have, stand. Ken and Chris will come and we'll be right here.